Future Hacker. Life. Path. Future. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Future Hacker. I'm your host, Maria Taigi, and today we are talking to Joanna Leporé. Joe, did I say it right? You did. Spot on. It's just awesome to have you with us. Thank you so much. And let's talk a little bit about Joe. So Joe is a strategist and a futurist. As a global director of Foresight at McDonald's, Joe helps propel the strategies of one of the world's best-known brands into the future with humans at the center. Prior to leading Foresight at McDonald's, Joe co-created a new strategic futures function within Mars Wrigley's global organization. Her career has spanned brand innovation, strategic transformation, and award-winning creative communications at Mars, General Mills, Essity, and Devondale. Did I say this right? Probably not. Yes, right? that's very good. <laughs> in, in the Australian and US markets. An advocate for curiosity and differentiated thinking, Joe created two podcasts to explore future trends and fresh business ideas, looking outside and future imagined. She's a champion for strategies empowered by curiosity and creativity. And she loves speaking with diverse thinkers. In 2022, she was nominated by the SMR board to build collaboration with, with insights and foresight professional as US representative. So as you can see, Joe is a truth future hacker. Like she has everything to do with this. I'm really, really happy. I'm really excited, Joe. As um, we were talking about uh, in your previous job, you created the whole foresight area at your company from scratch. And basically, as I understand, that's now your mission for McDonald's all over again. So I have so many questions for you, and I think we should start from the beginning. You know. In your previous challenge, like how how did it go? Because uh, as I understand, it was something new to you, right? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I'd love to hear about you know the main challenges you had. Can you give us just a brief summary of how did this go? Well, I can, but I have to say firstly, thank you, Maria, for having me on the show. I was I've been binging on the show, is how I would put it, <laughs> just listening to all of the episodes um, and was listening to the one with Keith Deere um, mm -hmm. that you recorded fairly recently and was literally walking my dog as I was listening to that going, okay, I am not qualified <laughs> to be on this show. Oh, please. <laughs> Keith is such a smart cookie, um, as many of your guests are. So hopefully I can add something of value. We'll see. No, so... I'm absolutely sure about that. <laughs> Rest assured. <laughs> All right. Well, let me take you back. Um, you know, my career really started in uh, communications and marketing. So I did that for over a decade. And what I like to say is that I pulled that into what I do in Foresight and you know, air quote, futurism inside of the corporate space. So when I think about how I do what I do today and how do I try to make it effective, it's really leaning into, you know, what, where my skills are, where my experience is versus, you know, potentially pretending to be the best possible foresight person or the best possible futurist because I'm still learning. I've been only been doing it for a few years. So, you know, how do I do that? I, I really focus on c communication, right? So if you think about trying to paint visions of the future, trying to get people to think differently or to imagine different things, communication is such a critical part of it. I pull in branding. So how do you brand your foresight team? 
And I did a lot of that inside of the Mars space, in particular, creating a podcast. So we are the team that tries new technologies. We are going to communicate to you in a different way. So branding is a key part of it. And then, you know, marketing is so much about strategy. Like you're living inside of a PL, you're working cross functionally with people all of the time. And that's how I've structured um, both the Mars Foresight function and the McDonald's Now Foresight function is that it feeds in as a key component inside of your planning process alongside other functions. So you work hand in hand with other teams. You're not kind of off off to the side, off in a corner, doing your own thing and then coming back and going, ta-da, here's a vision of 2040 that nobody asked for. You're really working collaboratively hand in hand with um, with other functions. So I'd say I've really tried to kind of lean into, you know, what I know to bring into the foresight capability inside of the organizations that I've been in. And then alongside that, just really trying to learn about foresight. So what what is it? There's no handbook for for foresight inside of a corporation because it's different Um, wherever you go and every foresight practitioner in the corporate space that I've spoken with does it differently and has different challenges and has different time horizons and different methodologies. So um, I think what's really critical is that you try to really deeply understand where the business is at as a starting point and what is the business ready for from a foresight perspective and what does it need foresight to be start from that build a three-year or five-year plan and then you know with time you will get to that point where you're more sophisticated you're using more sophisticated methodologies and it's okay if you're starting with you know just giving them some trend reports and giving them some provocative thinking and then you build on that as time goes so yeah, that's a little bit of what I did at Mars. And I was, you know, really, really, really proud with the legacy that I left behind there. And now I'm hoping to create something equally wonderful at McDonald's. Listen, um, I have so many questions, right? So let's <laughs> t- still say Mars. So it's, it, it's still something new, right? As much as, as it's, it's getting more popular to be talking about how to get ready for the future and, and, and having maybe within the planning area and the planning department and each company has its own structure. So how did you structure your team when mm-hmm. building the foresight uh, area? Did you, did you use inside experts? Did you hire consultancies? Um, and what type of profile? Is it like just analytical <laughs> or even, I don't know, did you get who knows, a biologist or who knows, did you get completely different backgrounds or scientists or data analysts? Uh, Can you tell Mm -hmm. us a little bit about that, please? Yes, uh, happy to. So uh, first and foremost, we structured the foresight team to sit inside of the insights function in Mars Wrigley. So we actually had more um, Mars Inc. corporate side foresight teams that were doing foresight and other things. So they said at the Mars Inc. level, when we talk about the Mars Wrigley um, organization, it was important to feed it directly into the business, like I was saying before, kind of working hand in hand with particularly our innovation teams and our marketing teams, and then the local markets. So it sat inside of insights, which we actually call human intelligence at Mars. And... um, It it therefore created futures that were very human-led, feeding into our annual business planning process. So it would very intentionally 
um, come in at the very early stage of, if you think of something like stage gate planning, it would come in at that early stage, helped define territories of the future. Um, so the skills that were the skills that were needed for those people were really about curiosity. So what I think, um, you know, generally speaking, is that foresight skills can be taught and learned, but the foresight mindset or a futurist mm-hmm. mindset is not necessarily something that can be taught. And we know inside of organizations that foresight isn't easy to get as a concept or as a practice um, because we have all of those biases. We have the cognitive bias, the social bias. It runs deep inside of our culture and it runs deep inside of an organization. So when we think about the future, we tend to think about what we've experienced, what's familiar to us. And the same thing happens when we're trying to hire people to think about the future. They might come from a consultancy background, so they're used to working inside of the framework of problem solution solving and very rapid ideation. Um, they might be from an insights background, so they're biased towards really thinking about you know the the human insight component and the maybe sociological anthropological component of foresight. If you bring someone in that's come from government, they might be, you know, very anchored into very long-term planning because we know they do like Horizon 3 for them is like 20, 40 years um, and more about policy and regulation. So um, what was important for us was to build uh, complexity in the thinking and diversity in thinking. So it's not necessarily about one person coming in and having all of those right foresight skills and mindsets. It's about bringing together a team that can balance each other out and can think differently and push and challenge and provoke each other. So really, you know, looking for someone that ideally doesn't have a traditional business background that maybe comes at it from media and creative or um, from a technology perspective. Maybe they worked at a tech startup. Um, We had someone that, that did that. Um, it might be someone that comes from an insights background and, you know, that's also okay as long as they have that mindset of, you know, just being really, really curious and, and very open to being challenged so that we can get into a room together and all have those, you know, wonderful future mapping exercises where we poke and provoke each other. And as you said, um, it's a very collaborative work, right? And you would Mm -hmm. across several departments of the company, how open were people about it. And when the topic is future, how can people understand that there are some things that we are talking about what you have to do now in order to get there, right? It's not just about whatever is going to happen in the next decade. And and some people just think that, you know, that's a dream, who knows where I'm going to be and I need to focus on my KPIs. So how Mm -hmm. to make it more tangible to people and how to, to, give this message of you know this is what's out there those are the possible scenarios but those are the things that we should be doing today yeah well linking the future into the today i think is really critical for a foresight team because um you know i often say that the the foresight function can't live in the horizon three the the horizon three is where you have all of those weak signals the things on the fringes and you know the young people who are I'm going to be living this future. Inside of a corporation, corporate foresight, I don't think has that role. Um, It's too explorative, it's too speculative, and it's too imaginative for us to be doing that day in, day out. We need to enlist those people and those um, specialties and bring them in. We also can't live in the horizon one where our business leaders and decision makers live because then we're too pulled into making decisions that are internally focused and are KPI driven and are short-term driven, which we know doesn't have a positive outcome. 
So being that middleman and that horizon too, really we're helping to bridge bridge the two together. So bring, bring them together, bring those perspectives together, but also think about, you know, what can we act on today? So the best way to, you know, create the future um, is, sorry, the best way to see the future is to create it. So uh, we try to, particularly in McDonald's, we try to get people to think about what kind of a future do you want to be a part of? So, so much of Foresight is about setting a vision or setting an ambition or thinking about, you know, when you're, for example, when you're talking about, you know, vertical farming and modern day agriculture, um, which is obviously a key component of what we do. What kind of innovations, investments, and benefits to our farmers and our consumers, obviously, do we want to be remembered for? Let's think, you know, 10, 20 years into the future, what is that vision? And then let's work backwards from there on what we need to achieve and therefore what actions we need to take today to be able to get there. So being that middleman in the middle and that horizon two is a really big challenge. And sometimes we get seen as the horizon three and we get almost, you know, um, discounted but you know it's very interesting what we present when we talk about foresight and the futures it's very interesting it's very fascinating it's very inspiring and then it gets kind of left into the you know the bottom of the priority list Mm -hmm. because we have important things we need to prioritize and put money behind today Um, and then if you come in and you're just focusing on short-term trends and how do you help to create an innovation pilot that generates an ROI next year then you're not really doing your job properly So um, that middle ground is really challenging um, to achieve. One of the ways that we found was really effective inside of Mars was partnering with a a team that was going really deep on a topic. So one of my favorite people inside of the Mars organization, Dondina Bradley, shout out to her, the vice president of health and well-being. They were doing a deep dive into that topic. And so Foresight came in instead of just being an input into that and, um, you know, being that part that paints that vision of the future and playing that Horizon 3 operator role, we came in and we're a partner in that process. So helping to not only, you know, create territories or create drivers of well-being for the future, but helping to shift the mindset, shift the skills of that team to think more about the possibilities, um, to think of the wild cards, to think of the blind spots. So equally about capability building, sort of culture shifts and how we think and how we behave, as well as actually providing that more tangible, so what do we do about it today that feeds directly into our business strategy. Is there anything that you learned from your previous experience that you would do different, differently today? You, you already mentioned that, you know, you're already, you're already are doing doing some uh, different things and it it's natural as it depends on how each company operates mm-hmm. but still as a lesson learned like something that you thought that would work that you want to try something different can you share about that yeah i think it's definitely more about how we set up the foresight function how you get that going off the ground which is definitely something that i'm implementing in mcdonald's one thing is to really think about your foundational foresight. What methodologies are we using? What is the language that we're using? What are we doing? What are we not doing? Which teams are we collaborating with? Which ones are outside of our scope? And so much of that goes back to thinking about what makes foresight applicable inside of a business and effective inside of a business. So 
for example, we know from, you know, the Nuremberg study that was done about corporate foresight, you know, where business leaders really want us to lean in, where do they feel that they have the biggest gaps when they think about the future? And it's things like, um, you know, competitor activity, like what are they doing? What are the future competitors that we should be thinking about? It's changing consumer behaviors. How do we understand people's value systems and how they're matching with their actions and their behaviors in the future? Um, And it's things like technological changes and progress. There are some teams inside of a business that already look at those things, the insights function. Usually there's a digital function. Um, Usually there's a sales function that's keeping a close eye on competitors. So how is Foresight helping to complement that by bringing that together? And a part of the the way that I think that that can be done, um, and again, this is proven to be the most effective way, is not just generating random sort of ad hoc information provocation and being a go-to about the future it's providing roadmaps it's providing constant and quantifiable and qualitative monitoring of the future so you're keeping a track of it it's bringing in history and that historical context of what's happened before and why it might happen in the future and it's providing strategic guides so really bringing foresight into action planning and creating that link not jumping straight into action planning because we know that that can be a flaw in foresight Um, but really helping to bridge that gap. And so as we're doing that and we're building that foundation and we're using, you know, the consistent language of foresight that we want everybody in the business to start to use, we're also building case studies along the way so that at the end of the year or at the end of the three years, we don't have a business leader coming up to us saying, so what have you actually done? I mean, I know that what you guys do is really interesting, And we like to bring you in for those fun, fascinating, you know, foresight presentations about the future. But what have you actually delivered? So if you're starting to build, you know, a methodology, a systematic approach to foresight, and you're quantifying all of that as you go, that makes it so much more impactful and you feel so much more confident in what you're delivering in the business. So that is definitely something that I'm bringing into McDonald's. And talking about case studies, do you have any previous case studies you could share with us? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that we did um, that we did inside of Mars very, very early on is coming out of the pandemic. Um, so the Foresight team was created, you know, right when we were in the midst of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. So it was actually perfect timing. So we came in and provided some certainty around the uncertainty that was happening, really anchored into human behavioral understanding. So behavioral economics, sociology, anthropology, bringing that together to kind of say, how are people likely to navigate their way around this? And really, you know, quite accurately sort of predicting the shorter term behavior changes and then shining a light on some of those blind spots that were coming around the corner. And, you know, with that, giving the business a guide towards maybe maybe out-of-home behavior and the growth of technologies that allow you to not have to interact with other people in that short to midterm horizon, that might grow. And that might be something that we want to continue to invest in. So, as a result of that, um, and one of the you know the big shifts that we identified around you know the growth of automation, the growth of predictive technologies, you know all of that being accelerated by the pandemic, and the touch-free environments that we want to have, the you know for better or worse, the need that people had to not interact with other people, um, you know not having to deal with that from a transactional day-to-day basis 
created an investment in smart vending for the business. So vending was already an area that the business was, you know, investing in and inside of, if you think about candy bars and a vending machine. Um, but it kind of doubled down on how do we think about predictive vending or more interactive vending, more immersive vending experiences. So that's that's kind of one example where they doubled down on an investment and accelerated it. There's so many exciting things happening in the food tech industry. So many. And we've been interviewing mm -hmm. a lot of people uh, talking about and it, it's uh, the whole the whole food cycle, right? Since production to transportation and, and, and the origins, all those alternative proteins, for example. And that's a question I have for you. I don't know if you can answer, but still, you know, we can see that uh, and, you know, we can see how BK is doing a lot of tests with vegan stores and using alternative proteins. So how do you see McDonald's following this path? And, and talking about Latin America, I haven't seen here, uh, you know, this path of having this meat-free uh, or, or, or alternative protein burgers and, and, and things in this direction. So how do you see this happening from McDonald's? Yeah, it's a, it's a really great question and a question that we get quite often. Um, certainly, we're working on a project at the moment in the Foresight team called The Future of Food, where we're exploring the areas where consumer behavior meets industry demand or, you know, environmental must-haves um, and imperatives for the future with some of this amazing innovation that's starting to come through inside of that space. So certainly it's areas that we're looking at. We'd be really silly not to be looking at that. We have plant-based products in other markets around the world. So I was in Portugal the other month and they, they had all of their advertising just launching their plant-based burger and it was doing oh, nice. extremely well. Okay. So it's it's starting to filter through. I would say what McDonald's is really great at is, you know, we, we always talk about putting people first and that goes right down to the consumer. So we're not going to launch something unless it actually delivers on the McDonald's promise and what you expect from McDonald's. So is it affordable? Does it taste really, really great? Um, you know, and are people ready for it? So McDonald's is, you know, quick service. You're in, you're out. Are you able to get that really high quality, affordable, delicious product? So if that plant-based burger or that lab-made burger doesn't deliver on that, then we're wasting the entire system's resources on something that we haven't fine-tuned and perfected just yet. So how do you make sure that the system is ready for it in a way that really starts to change consumer behavior and builds consumer trust that you're in this for the long haul and that you're really dedicated to this because you're bringing them the quality product that they should be receiving? That's an, a great answer. And it's not just about delivering what the market is asking is about making sure that the whole cycle is, is respected and is sustainable and it makes sense, right? Um, and there's so so many exciting things to happen in this in this area, right? Yeah, and you know, like I'm I'm a huge um, I'm a huge fan and advocate of all of the innovation in this space. You know, particularly personally as an individual, it's and maybe as an Australian, it's something that I'm really passionate about. We have this connection in Australia to our farmers, to the agriculture system. We proactively have so many initiatives around you know, tackling food waste, for example, mm -hmm. and regenerative systems, food justice for our farmers, making sure that they're paid appropriately, um, and upcycling initiatives inside of the stores even. So now that I'm in the US, I'm not seeing all of that come through. Certainly, it's something that's very prominent in the European market. 
Um, and obviously in Australia, not so much in the US. So I'm constantly that person in the room that's like, have we tried this or are we looking into this? So I will continue to fight fight for all of those causes. And it's amazing to see what um, what is happening inside of the food industry. I was having a conversation with uh, Do Good Foods, uh, Justin Kmine, the, the CEO of that company and what they're doing in you know, repurposing food waste into chicken feed, which is now creating, you know, basically, you know, what they call upcycled chicken. So you can still start to, um, you can start to see the changes that are happening inside of our food systems as they currently are structured to be better. And then alongside that, you see so much innovation that's transforming the food systems. So I agree with you, Maria. I think there's um, so much exciting stuff happening in that space. So let's change the topic a little, as much as there's still so many exciting things to, to, to talk about. I have to say, and you know, everybody take note here, you're also a podcast host, looking outside, and I also have been hearing you, so congratulations, you did such a good job, uh, Joe. I'm a follower. Thank you. Uh, we have to put the link down here Thank so you. people can follow as well. What drove you to start your own podcast? And, you know, just tell our listeners what that about. Yeah. Um, and it's such an interesting question that I get so often, mostly from people who are like, how do you have the time? Yes. And aren't you scared to be doing a podcast? Like Maria, you would know this from a hosting perspective to get out there, to be prepared for episodes, to make sure that you sound you know, smart and eloquent when you're hosting and get a great conversation. Like it's so much work and so much pressure. Like why, why would anyone put themselves in that position? But as you know, as well, it's incredibly rewarding. So a big reason that I started the podcast looking outside is that um, I love counterintuitive thinking. So I love it when I have a conversation with somebody who provides a different perspective to the one that I have, or that talks to me about a topic that I'm unfamiliar with, or that I'm really curious about, or maybe it's a topic that I think I know inside out. Like, you know, I had a conversation on the show about marketing and the person came in and, and spoke about, you know, let's put aside modern, modern day marketing practices and mindsets and bring in the renaissance marketing practices i'm like oh that's such an interesting way of thinking about doing what you do day to day so it's having these conversations offline with these incredibly smart uh you know experienced people that i thought well if i'm benefiting from it surely other people would benefit from it so i decided to bring it bring it out into the public and it's a great way for me to practice my own counterintuitive thinking critical thinking and catch my bias um, it's a really great way for me to sort of like just practice listening um, and really taking in and thinking critically about what I'm hearing uh, versus just jumping on, you know, what I'm familiar with or what I what I might be conditioned to. So as an example, you know, I've had host uh, guests, sorry, guests on there talking about um, a brand purpose, which is a topic that. I'm, I'm very much sort of now on the fence about not traditionally not a very huge fan of brand purpose as it's constructed for business profit purposes. But, you know, um, I had a, a guest come on there, Seth, who spoke about it with so much like personal passion. And he had these critical points about how you can make it business successful. I'm like, oh, okay, started to change my mind about that. Um, or, you know, the ability to talk to futurists. So I've had a number of futurists um, on there as well and foresight practitioners. Andy Hines came on. I recently interviewed Kat Tully from the School of International Futures. 
I'm right after this, I'm interviewing Matt Klein, um, who's obviously a famous cultural futurist. I've spoken to Sarah Devanzo from the corporate futurism space. So it's a great ability for me to be able to, you know, get better at what I do by speaking to those people. Um, and then I would say, you know, it's the ability to go broad and go deep. So I think traditionally with podcasts, what I've heard, um, aside from a few like Stuff You Should Know, which is one of my favorite podcasts, um, and obviously your podcast, Future Hacker, which dives into a range of different topics and allows you to go really broad. Usually a podcast, you know, very much focuses on one specific yeah. topic. So I get I get kind of burned out by that um, and not bored, but burned out. Like it's too intensive on one topic. So I like the ability to be able to jump from talking about business strategy to talking about true crime, to talking about the metaverse, to talking about, you know, cultural values and identity shifts. So I create whatever topics I want to that are interesting, that I think might be interesting to think about in a counterintuitive way. And then I get to bring on these high caliber guests who often I'm like, are you, do you know who I am? Are you sure you want to come on my show? How did this person say yes to me? Uh, which is, you know, just an incredible experience. So it's a lot of work, but incredibly rewarding. And, and, you know, you just mentioned, you know, how, how it's refreshing for us to be able to talk about such a diversity is that I think is the, the the best word is diversity. It's not only cultural mm. and the themes. This is where I want to get you to. Usually, you know, when we are working on specific department departments or areas, we tend to be experts on those specific themes, right? And then you and I, we just found out this whole new universe of themes and of incredible <laughs> people all around the world. And it's shocking how it opens our minds. So this is my question to you. When it comes back to foresight studies and being uh, future ready about you know, your business, How important is it to know about themes that are completely outside your department, your domain area, and they seem completely unrelated? But, you know, eventually you can connect the dots and figure out ways that it would never do when you know if you're still just working within your domain yeah this is definitely something that i'm really passionate about that diversity of thought and diversity of experience and diversity of perspective is definitely something that i try to bring into the podcast and also into what i do at foresight i think it's really critical um You know the famous quote, you can't act on what you can't see. So if you're only looking at what's inside of your immediate perimeter, then think about everything that you're missing and therefore every every opportunity that you're missing, every risk that you're not seeing, um, and all of the potential of the future that, you know, all those dots that you're not connecting. So I think what's really critical in foresight is that we are intentionally observant. And I say intentionally, you know, that being the critical part of horizon scanning where we're looking you know, outside of our category, outside of our market and outside of our industry um, at what's happening. And then, you know, thinking about how, how are we capturing that? How are we 
really thinking through it. So how are we analyzing it, critiquing it, and then connecting the dots to what's happening, not just what's happening over there to our category industry or company, but connecting disparate dots together to create, you know, those themes and those drivers and all of those things that Foresight delivers. I think it's really, really, really critical to be looking at other categories. And, you know, we know that categories take inspiration from each other. So beauty is inspired by what's happening in the food space. Restaurants, um, trends move into the QSR space or into things like meal kits and subscription that, that you know, are new opportunities. Drinks transfer into meals, like if you think about alternative, um, alternative proteins snacks into drinks if you think about things like probiotics so these things transfer amongst each other as they find their place particularly in the innovation space as they find their place inside of a consumer's life um, and they they can you know start to get you know greater adoption and greater scale so if you're not observing all of that and you're not thinking about what's next for a restaurant what's next for qsr you know what are some of those things that might be you know our competitors might be acting on because they're connecting those dots. So I think it's really important. And I think, you know, if we think about, you know, really truly understanding what's happening outside of our domain of expertise, and, you know, there's always a risk of being jack of all trades, master of none. And that's where Foresight has a really big challenge because we're pulled into everything. And because we're looking across the steep model, like I get this question all the time. It's like, do you look at, you know, political regulation and, and policy changes yes do you look at patent innovation from the technology space yes like how overwhelming is all of that yeah. incredibly overwhelming um but what's the common link between all of that it's the human being so particularly for us and mcdonald's because we sit inside of the you know what we call the customer experience part of the business where marketing sits where even restaurant design sits where insight sits Everything that we do is human-led, so we're really thinking about what is the common thread behind, you know, why is the policy maker making that decision? Why have humans culturally in the past made this big societal, you know, a push to act, uh, activism and um, protest against these changes? You know, why does a, a person, or, or I should say actually, when does a person move from caring about the environment, hypothetically and theoretically, to actually making changes in their behavior? and making sacrifices in their day-to-day to change their habits. So really anchoring it into that human perspective. And we work with a number of agencies that help us to do that. So yes, we try to be as knowledgeable in human beings as we possibly can, but we work with anthropologists, we work with sociologists, with um, you know human behavioral experts, with neuroscientists, and in a number of great agencies that specialize in this so that we can go really deep, but also stay really broad. Joe, it was so, so lovely having you on the show. And I'm so happy to have you as a part of Future Hacker Network now. And if, if, if you have, <laughs> thank you. Is there anything else you'd like to tell your audience? Any final advice to people that are trying to implement maybe the foresight studies on your companies? Yeah, I would say, you know, uh, two things. One is uh, maybe three things if I can sneak one in. One is, like I said, at the very beginning of the conversation, if you're coming into Foresight, more likely than not, you are not a Foresight academic. You haven't studied Foresight in the corporate space. You're coming in kind of going like, where's the handbook? There is no handbook. So think about leaning into what, what you're good at and what you're 
where your experience lies and bringing that into foresight and then boosting that with the knowledge around foresight foundations, foresight methodologies, really learning about the foresight practice and balancing that. The second thing I would say is that, you know, we do all create the future that we want to see. So um, try to continue to bring in those preferred futures. You know, what is it that you want to be a part of? What is it that you want to create? What's the future that you want to, you know, help your business to get to balancing that with you know what's probable and what's plausible um, and then the third thing is um, I think it's really critical that businesses particularly in the corporate business space are thinking further out so so much of our strategies we know the majority of businesses look two to three years out they create actionable plans maximum three years out that is not even a midterm horizon so help your business to think further out it might take a long time to stretch them into that proper horizon two and then ultimately three but it's going to be really beneficial and i think it's really important maria thank you so much for having me on the show it's been an absolute joy it speaking with perfect. you thank you so, so much. much thank you joe <laughs> and you wishing you the best on your new ride thank you so much future hacker life path future